in the Word, because we're focusing on Jesus and about Jesus being the one and only, the, the foundation for your life. And it's part of uh, our walk through Colossians, which we're doing over a number of weeks. Sometimes we do a theme, sometimes we do a topic, and sometimes we just preach all the way through a whole book. And we're into third week in Colossians, and it's, it's one of those passages today that kind of is just absolutely magnificent. Um, and whatever I say about it, it won't do it justice. But I'll do my best. And the reason I like preaching through books of the Bible is you can't avoid things. You see, often we can uh, preach on our favorite topics or, or pick bits out that we, we want to talk about. And we avoid all the difficult stuff and we avoid all the tough stuff and we avoid all the real questions. And uh, when we do that, we, we end up with something that, that looks really nice, but actually misses out all the challenge. And that's why when we go through the word, we, we, it, it forces us to look at all the passages. You'd be a bit like disappointed if I went, oh, I'm not going to do that one because I don't like that bit. It's there for a reason. Everything is there for a reason. Now, today's is one of those where you don't have to have a reason for it. It's just uh, an absolutely fantastic uh, section of scripture. So, and I'm going, to, I'm going to stay there right through. So, you know, we're not going to have one of those where we jump around all over the place. So if you want to go to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And I'll read it to you. I'm beginning at verse 15. He is the image, and it's talking about Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled to him. It's just, isn't that phenomenal? What a phenomenal passage of scripture. And this is why it's exciting, because it talks about the only thing that matters, and that is Jesus. The only one who is worthy of living our lives for. And, you know, when I, when I read this, I'm thinking, well, you know, people preach on this passage all the time. In fact, I think Flick preached on it about three weeks ago while I was on holiday. And you think, well, what, what should I say? What, you know, where, do I, where do I come from? I don't want to miss it out. But whatever I do say, there's always more in this. There's always more. And uh, so what I wanted to really focus down on today was this phrase, Jesus, the one and only. Jesus, the one and only. There's nobody like him. Absolutely nobody like him. You can try and describe Jesus and you'll fall short. You, you can try and, and grasp who he is, 
and you'll get part of him, but not all of him. Because for eternity, we're going to explore who he is. For eternity, every single moment, we'll see new facets of his glory and his love and his beauty and his kindness and his compassion and his care. And so what I'm doing this morning is kind of just a little snapshot. So is that okay? Just say, just get your head around. This isn't all the story. So if you see something else in this passage, go for it. You know, receive that too. Um, I wanted to start with a little um, quote. And uh, it'll go up on the screen, but I, I'm going to read it to you. And it's a quote from uh, famous author C.S. Lewis. And C.S. Lewis wrote these books called The Screwtape Letters. And it's about the, the devil writing to his nephew, uh, Wormwood. Wormwood being a little baby demon guy. And when I was reading this passage, I was just reminded of something I read in there years ago. So I'm just going to read it out to you. Because basically the devil's talking to uh, his nephew to give him instruction about how to lead people like you and me astray. And so we don't want to fall for this sort of thing, do we? But kind of we do all the time. And so this, this is what, what it says. My dear Wormwood, the real trouble about the set your patient is lying, living in is that it is merely Christian. They all have individual interests, of course, but the bond remains mere Christianity. What we want, if men become Christians at all, is keep them in the state of mind I call Christianity and. Christianity and, you know, Christianity and the crisis, Christianity and the new psychology, Christianity and the new order, Christianity and faith healing, Christianity and psychical research, Christianity and vegetarianism, Christianity and spelling reform. If they must be Christians, let them at least be Christians with a difference. Substitute for the faith itself something fashion with a Christian colouring. And that's our problem. We add things to Jesus. We add things to the simplicity of the gospel. And so we talk about all sorts of things, but it's not uncommon these days to go to a Christian meeting and not hear Jesus talked about. It's pretty common to go to a Christian meeting and hear sort of relationship skills talked about or business skills or you know, the, the favour of God on your destiny and all these sort of things and to, to have ministry techniques that do all sorts of things and, you know, sort of add new age stuff onto Christianity. But it's really rare and becoming rarer to hear Jesus talked about. And that's what C.S. Lewis was saying. We add all sorts of things to our Christianity. And when, we, when, it's, when it's Christianity and my destiny or Christianity and my marriage or Christianity and my emotional state or Christianity and my problem or Christianity and my needs, Christianity automatically becomes about us. And it's never about us. It's always about him. You see, Jesus isn't a means to an end. He is the end. He's the end goal. Enjoying him is the end goal. Being in relationship with Jesus is the end goal. Being uh, in, in such a depth of relationship with Christ that, that he fills your vision. And yet we, we, we have this habit of reducing him down 
to somebody who sits in the wings for when we need him to bless what we've decided we're going to do. And that, that's kind of what the problem that C.S. Lewis was talking about. And that's what Paul is talking about here. He, he's talking about you cannot get away from Jesus and you don't need anything more than Jesus. And when you get away from Jesus and you add to Jesus or you, you, you put other things alongside him or you put him on the sidelines to bless you when you need him, then you've got a problem in that that's not a life that will ever fulfill. That is a life that will run you into the ground. And so that's kind of where I want to come from this morning. It's kind of a really sort of simple message, but not so simple in that it's challenging. See, years ago, I, I don't know how many years ago when it came out, how many of you went to see The Passion of the Christ when it was on in the cinemas? And this is the only film this has ever happened to me. I'm sat there and, and, and Cheryl's there and the film finishes and nobody moves. You know, this is the day before Marvel put in stuff at the end of the credits, so everybody had to sit there. But nobody moved, and the whole place was silent. And, and people sat there for absolutely, we were in shock. And then, you know, it took ages before people started to shuffle out. And I, I remember talking to, to Cheryl on our way out the cinema. And we, it's one of those where, you know, we, we were in marital harmony, because we both said the same thing at, at the same time. How could he possibly have done any more? To show us he loves us. And here's the, the thing about that film. That however brutal it is, Jesus did more. It was worse than that. And, you know, Jesus, his last words on the cross are, it is finished. He's not saying, it's over, I've done my bit. You know, I don't have to hang up here on this cross anymore the pain's finished for me. He's saying, I've finished everything I came to do, everything God wants me to do, and I'm not going to do anymore. I've done everything that was needed. I've done all there is to do, and now my work on earth is finished so I can go to be with my father. It's finished. That, that word, it is finished, that when it's translated, the original words actually have this sense. It is completely complete and perfectly perfect. So right now, when we're trying to um, walk in faith in Christ, what we're doing is we're exercising our faith in what he has already paid for. We're exercising our faith in what he died to give us. We're exercising our faith in, in the inheritance that he has left us. Because Christ has done a complete, magnificent work that is much more than we will ever need. Peter said, um, didn't he, that I've given you all things, you've been given all things for life and godliness. All things for life and godliness. And so, just try saying that. I've been given all things for life and godliness. Let's try it slow. I've been given all things for life and godliness. So what's your problems? If you've been given all things for life and godliness, what's the problem? 
There's, there's the gospel right in one sentence. And yet we, we are beset with problems because we get our eyes off Jesus. We get our eyes off what we have in him onto us. And then we try and add things on Jesus onto Jesus to fix us. And in doing that, we move away from the gospel and we forget that we have all things we need. The issue in our lives is not that we don't have what we need, it's that we aren't accessing it and relying on ourselves to do what Jesus has given us the tools to do. And there's our problem. Let me challenge you, when we behave like that, and a lot of us do, me included, a lot of the time, we're saying a couple of things. Firstly, we're saying what Jesus did wasn't enough. We're saying that it was an incomplete thing. The second thing we're saying is this. I don't need him. I can do it myself. And that's exactly the sort of person that Christ came to die for. Because we can't do it ourselves. And when we go off with our ideas and our plans and our, our strategies and, and all the rest of it, and we, we, we go to Jesus, bless what I'm doing, that's your job. But, you know, how do I get you to bless my life? We get it the wrong way around. Because we're supposed to start with him and go, Jesus, how do I become a blessing to your kingdom? You get, get in it? It's, really, it's simple stuff, but it's challenging stuff. So Paul, he's writing this letter, and he talks about two things that Jesus is first in. All things about creation, and all things about redeeming us, his body, his church. So when he starts to talk to, about creation, let's go back to verse 15. No, you, you, are you okay getting challenged on a Sunday morning? Yeah, yeah you, you know, this, here's the thing. You survive to the end of this, there's cakes at the back <laughs> and, coffee, and coffee to perk you up again. So there you go, Fifth, verse 15. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. In him, by him, all things created and in heaven, on earth, visible and invisible, thrones or dominions, principalities and powers, all things are created through him and for him. He's before all things and in him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have what? Preeminence. That's his place in my life. Preeminence. When he's not preeminent, I have removed him from that place and substituted me. And that's not a healthy place to be. Because when I do that, I'm in denial because whatever I think and however I behave in my life, Jesus is still preeminent. He hasn't moved, it's me that moved. And so what this is saying is Jesus... When it says he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Let's just unpack that a little bit. When it says he's the image, what Jesus is saying or what Paul is saying about Jesus is this. 
If you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. You've seen what God looks like. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You've seen what God looks like. And Jesus described it like that when one of his disciples came along and said, Jesus, show us what the Father's like. And, you know, we can spend a lot of time trying to understand Father God. Here's the thing. Jesus really, in the answers to your question, when, when I think it was Philip that came along and asked him the question, he said, Jesus, show us what the Father's like. Jesus, Jesus says no. Why would you say no to that question? You'd say no because what he does is he gives them a different answer. He says, I'm not going to talk to you about the Father. I'm not going to try and describe a perfect father to you. What I'm going to do is I'm going to show you what he's like, because if you see me, you've seen exactly what he's like. You might not be able to get your head around God the Father, but you can get your head around a living, walking, spirit-filled human being called Jesus who walks this planet full of the spirit of God, and you see, this is how God behaves when he's amongst us. And we need to know how God behaves when he's amongst us because for every single person who's a believer, he's amongst us and with us and walking with us all the time. So we want to know what sort of person we're walking with and, and how we see him and what we do. You see, when you, when you see Jesus, you see the Father. So when you see Jesus' compassion, you know God's compassionate. He's kind, he's loving, he's caring. He gets alongside those who are on the edge, those who are rejected, those who are not cared about. He's there. He gets alongside those who are on the, the edge of society and he gets right in amongst those who are right in the middle of society too. And he treats them with respect. And he brings grace and not judgment. And he heals and he sets free and he delivers. And he says, if you've seen that, that's what God's like. You see, we debate all sorts of things in the church about, and we call it theology. It's not theology at all. Theology is the study of God. When we debate stuff like the stuff we debate, what it is, it's called argument. By men who think they know better. And we argue about things like, well, does God really heal? Does he, does he want to heal everybody? Well, Jesus would say, look at God. Look at what I did, and you'll see what God wants. Yeah. And Jesus went around from town to town healing everybody. Jesus went around from town to town casting demons out of everybody that needed them casting out. All who came to him were healed. Yeah. And so we see what God is like. We see what he can do. That word uh, image, it's a translation of the word uh, which you might be more familiar of, which is Greek word, icon. And we've just been on holiday in Italy, and we've, seen, we've, seen, we've had icons coming out of our ears. In fact, we've seen shops full of icons, shelves of them being sold, icons, paintings, gold altars, amazing artwork, all trying, well, a lot of it trying to show us what people think that Jesus was like or what they think God was like or what they think Mary was like. And, and they're representations of what people think it, it was like. And what, what we're saying here is when you look at Jesus, you see exactly what God is like. 
You don't need a painting on the wall. You look at Jesus and that shows you what God is like. You see, when you see Jesus and you see him seeking the lost, you see God seeking the lost. When you see Jesus and you see him going to the hurting, you see God going to the hurting. When you see Jesus and you see him going to the weak and, and the destitute, you see God, he's, you know, he's going there, he's getting alongside the weak and the destitute. When you see Jesus and he goes to the marginalised, it means that he's going to us, our marginalised. And when you see Jesus and he goes to those who, who are just stuck and tired and worn out and worn down and he says, come to me and I'll give you rest, you see what God does. Because that's the saviour we have, the exact representation, the fullness of God walking the earth. You see, that alone... You don't need anything else. And yet, we have a God who is a God of abundance, so there's always something else. And so, what else do you need? What else do you need? And it goes on and says this, He's the firstborn of creation, and in him all things was created. And his place in creation is what? That's that word again. Preeminence. Like the one and only, the one up front, the one out front. Preeminent. He and he alone is first. Whether we put him first in our life is a different matter. He is first. Just because we don't, uh, just because we don't behave in line with the truth, doesn't change the truth. Jesus is first. He's overall, and it, and it says. That there is simply is not a single thing in creation that wasn't created by him and through him. Old things is how it says it. And then it goes on with this long list, doesn't it? Principalities and dominions and powers and all the rest of it. Not just physical things, but structures. The way we, we, we govern, the way authority exists, all comes from Jesus. Now, here's the point of that. If he's the creator of all things, he owns all things. Everything in creation belongs to him. I said last week, didn't I? You are not your own. You belong to Jesus. You belong to Jesus. You're his. He paid the price for you. And then, then it goes on, it says something else. It says he's before all things, and all things are held together in him. Well, what that, does that mean? It means, let me, can I go all esoteric on you? Well, you're in Cambridge, so you can handle big concepts, can't you? You've got, you know, like everybody here, because they're in Cambridge, automatically gets a brain the size of a planet, just by virtue of breathing the air of Cambridge. It doesn't happen in Oxford in the same way, but it does happen in Cambridge. And so here we go. So that means he's not dependent on the universe for his existence, but the universe is dependent on him for its existence. You see, it's in Christ that the world finds consistency. 
It's in Christ that the world finds cohesiveness. It's in Christ that the world finds stability. And if, if Jesus just got up one morning and said, I'm not doing it anymore, we all disappear. And we think we can ignore him. And he's getting up every morning and going, I'm going to keep it going. I'm going to keep it going. I'm going to keep it going. I'm going to sort it out. And as a long, here's the point. As long as he wants the world here, the world's going to be here. And when he determines it's coming to an end, it comes to an end. That's, that's how amazing he is. And we go, I'll bother about you on Wednesday, Jesus. That's creation. That's what he says about creation. Then there's this other aspect, redemption. What, what his purpose is in creation, what his purpose is in in life. Why did he create all this thing? Why did he, he, he make this incredible world we live in? And he didn't do it for himself. He did it for you. You know, I, I'm still absolutely amazed by the, the goodness of God. And, you know, when I, I go out for walks, I, I, I walk around and I look at like, just like it's changed again this week, didn't it? And all of a sudden, you, when you're going for a walk, you feel like, I'm more alive now. Oh, no, that's cold. And, <laughs> and, and, the, and the leaves are changing, and, and the world around us is changing. And you, you, we've got this incredible privilege of just being able to enjoy this world. We're blessed. I'm, I'm incredibly blessed. We, just by virtue of the fact that I'm alive, I've got clothes, I'm eating, and I've got this absolutely beautiful world to, to, to enjoy, I'm blessed. And then I get Jesus on top of that. So what else, you know, like, wow, I've got Jesus, plus creation, plus these, all these other things. We're incredibly blessed. And yet, somehow, the enemy can add things to that and get us to feel like we're not. Christianity and something else. See, if, if we stick with Jesus, we become a people who know that we're blessed. If we become a Christianity and, we'll always not have enough of the and. Thank you for that resounding approval for that one. <laughs> okay, so we, we get to this other thing. That, that this this saviour, this, this one who is above all things, all things exist be, because of him, cared enough about me that he would come and die for me. And that, again, it's just phenomenal, isn't it? That, you know... All the universe is sustained by Jesus, and yet he would come, empty himself of all his glory, all, all the possessions of, of heaven, and, and come down to earth and die a death on a cross because he loved me. I wouldn't do it. He did. And that says to me what sort of a saviour he is, what his heart's like. You see, Jesus isn't only the firstborn of creation, he's the firstborn from the dead. He's the firstborn from the dead. And 
you know, some people, well, well, what about Lazarus? And what about Jairus' daughter? Jesus raised them from the dead. Yeah, but they died again. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead who stays alive again. So that's kind of cool, isn't it? I'm al- I was dead, I'm alive, and I'm staying alive forever. And here's the thing, he's the firstborn. So what are you? You're the second born, the third born, the fourth born, the fifth born, because we get to share in that life. We, we die only once, and then we live forever because we believed in him. And some of us, like me, are kind of hoping that we don't die. And, I, you know, dying's okay. You might not think dying's okay. Here's a challenge for you. As a believer, you should think dying's okay. In fact, you should think dying's kind of cool. Because you get to be, if you're not in the body, you're with the Lord. There's no, like, interval. You go whoosh, and you're there. And you get this, this horrible thing left behind with all its wrinkly bits and grey bits and, 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 and the slightly overweight bits and a lot of overweight bits and you get to leave it behind and you get a new one and you get alive and you're with Jesus and everybody's going, oh, I miss them. Well, yeah, you miss them, but you're going to be with them one day as well if you believe. So that's kind of cool, isn't it? What's the worst that can happen in life? You die. You get to be with Jesus. He's brilliant. That's the worst possible outcome. He is the best possible outcome. We don't die. And I get to live until Jesus comes back. And I get to go and I float up into the air and I join him in the air. And we're looking down and I've conquered my fear of flying because I'm in the air without an airplane. And he's brilliant. This is a good outcome too. You see, for Christians, there's temporary bad, but there's always a good outcome at the end of it. The worst can happen. You die and you're with Jesus. Whoopee. It's like, it's okay. No, seriously, it's okay. That's why we have our faith. If it's not okay, we've got our eyes off Jesus. So, I forgot where I was now. <laughs> I'm flying, yeah. First born from the dead. How do I know that applies to us? Because he says he's the beginning. Who is the beginning, the first born from the dead? We're, we're, we're the after the beginning. So what else is needed? Well, Any one of those is cool. Any one of those is enough. But there's another. It says, Jesus is the head of his body, the church. His body, the church. Who's in the church? When are you in the church? 24-7. This is just like... I know we call it church. I'm going to church. You're not going to church. You're going to fellowship as the church. So, so that's where we are. We're fellowshipping as the church. But when we walk out these doors, we're still the church. And tomorrow morning, when we're at our desk or taking the kids to school or whatever, we're still the church. And here's what Jesus says. You're mine. You're mine. The church belongs to him. And so as the church, 
24-7, we need to be taking our directions from the head. Otherwise, we're just decapitating ourselves. And that's not a pretty sight. Because the head is meant to follow the body. But too often, the body wanders around headless. Because it, it, it's not following Jesus. It's like I'll come into church on a Sunday morning and I'll stick my head on. Oh, there's Jesus. And then when we go out the door, we take it off again. That only happens in black and white horror movies. <laughs> That's not a good foundation for your faith. You know, the head, headless people walking around is not the way we want to be. It's scary. We want to take our direction from the head and live from our head. Here's what this says. It pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. That's the fullness of God. And by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienate, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. So before you were a believer, before you came to Christ, and if you haven't come to Christ, this is your current state, you were an enemy of God. And because of that, you were like, you were like alienated. You were outside the family. And here's where a lot of people have a problem. They're outside the family of God. And when you're outside the family of God, you spend your life feeling like an orphan. And so you, you live your life trying to uh, find things that give you fulfillment and that you can be successful at to give yourself value. And Jesus is saying, that's how unbelievers live. That's not how you live when you're a believer. That's not, if, you, if you're doing those things, you've missed the fact that life's changed. That if you values from those things and you're trying to get the success from those things in order to give yourself a sense of self-worth, then you're still behaving like when you're an alien and outside the kingdom. Because now you're in. And when you're in, you're a child. You're part of the family. You've got adopted in. You're a kid. You're a kid of, of the, the one who made the universe, who rules the universe. He's in all, through all, and amongst all. Has all power, all glory, all dominion, all authority. And he's your dad. Yeah. And you're in his family. Yeah. So how cool is that? And he's saying, this is how it works. I paid the price to put you in the family. And now, live like you're in the family. Live like you're in the family. Not like those aliens out, who are outside the kingdom, who were enemies of the kingdom, who just were driven by having to do all these things to get their own value. Now your value is you're part of my family. And you're dearly loved. And I love you enough that I would die for you, lay down my life for you, take, take every punishment that was ever going to be yours, and now I've adopted you into my family and you're sitting right next to me. 
that is just absolutely awesome. Here's the thing. Let's go back to that last sentence. You were once alienated, enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. What tense is that? Past tense. So Jesus has reconciled you. He's put you in right relationship with God. He's ironed out all the disagreement from when you were an enemy. He's got rid of all the barriers between you and God. Now you have complete free access to the presence of God and complete access to relationship with him. Not because of what you do or don't do. You are already reconciled. It's past tense. You became reconciled to God when you believed on the basis of what Christ did 2,000 years ago. That means when you screw up, you can still go to him. And you are still reconciled to him. And he'll treat you like a father, not like a judge. Because you're his kid. And he loves you. You don't become not part of the family because you mess up. In fact, that's the time when the family is there for you. Because only God can fix the issue. Are you getting this? You see... Why is it so important we have the right picture of Jesus? This picture of who he is and, and what he's done and, and, and how he's overall. And why is it so important? So we know who we are. But more to the point, so we know who he is. You see, here's the thing when we're talking about Christianity and or just mere Christianity. When he says mere Christianity, it doesn't mean mere Christianity at all. It means it's merely about Jesus and nothing else. He's the focus. He's the one we're living for. He's the one who, who determines our life. He's the one that, where our passion comes from. He's the one where that, that, that fulfillment is. And he's the head of our life. It's so important, this, because our picture of Jesus determines the way we do church. Your picture of Jesus determines what, how you do church, how you live this life. You see, if you've got a Jesus who forgives sins and it stops at that, then all you'll talk about is forgiveness of sins, which is a great thing, and... That's all you'll preach about. And you'll tell people how, what a bad sinner they were, and then you'll tell them that Jesus died to forgive them the sins, and you'll go through the process over and over again. If that's your picture of Jesus, as God as judge, Jesus holding him off on the cross, and, and you hiding him behind him, that's one picture of Jesus. That'll determine your, the way you do church. Equally, if you've got a, 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 
a God or a Jesus who is into social justice, you'll be a social justice church. If you've got a Jesus who's an evangelist, you'll all be going off evangelizing. And you won't, you won't be here. You'll be actually in the street now. And if you've got a, if you've got a Jesus who is uh, weak, you'll have a pretty weak picture of what the kingdom looks like and what can change. If you've got a Jesus who isn't preeminent, you're sat there going, well, this is all really very well, Mark, but on Monday morning, nothing's changed. Instead of realizing that on Monday morning, everything starts to change because Christ is in you. And where you go, you're taking the kingdom. If you've got a Jesus who is Lord of Lords, King of Kings, Redeemer, Deliverer, Reconciler, Savior, Healer, Deliverer, uh, Bondage Breaker, uh, Lord of all, all authority, you do church different. Because Jesus looks different and he's the head. And so your picture that you have of Jesus determines the level at which you operate in the kingdom and the level at which you do church. And so we want a complete picture of Jesus, not a bitty picture of Jesus. We want like a, a high-definition picture, not one of those granular black and whites that we used to get. We want a full, sharp picture of every facet of Christ. And when we have that, we know that we are secure and we know that things are about to change around us. Amen? Okay, let's, let's kind of wrap this up now. I'm going back to these two things, creation and redemption. So creation. So we've said he's over all, he's in all, he's through all, and when he wants it to come to an end, it'll come to an end. But as long as he wants to keep it going, he wants to keep it going. Do you agree? Yeah. Right. So when you're at home tonight and the news comes on, and they're talking about Brexit, and they're talking about global warming, and they're talking about plastics in the ocean, and they're talking about allergies and allergens and ethnic wars and ISIS and terrorism and limited natural resources and is running out of this and running out of this and the population explosion going exponential, you don't need to worry. You don't need to bother yourself about that. Because Jesus says, when it comes to an end, it comes to an end. And I'm the one that decides that. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have a, a conscience because we were put on earth to look after the earth to make it fruitful and multiply. So we should still have that. But we shouldn't be worrying about it. We should be saying, well, what do we do about it? And, and doing our part in whatever part that is. But we're not worrying. The world isn't about to come to an end and it matters to us. Because why? Because if I'm dead, I'm with Jesus. If I'm not dead, I'm going to meet him in the air and the world is coming to an end and we get a new one and a new earth, which is kind of cool, isn't it? And we don't have to worry anymore in that circumstance about going to heaven because he comes down to us. It's brilliant. And yet we worry so much about the economy going up and down and house prices going up and down and, and all those sort of things. And Jesus says, it's okay, guys. I've given you everything you need for life and godliness, and I know what I'm doing. This is not a problem to me. And something that Cheryl and I have increasingly learned to do, and 
occasionally forget to do is that when we've got a problem in our life or with church or with family or whatever, we've learned to do those little words that they, they did with Apollo 13. You remember Apollo 13? Some of us were alive when it happened. And, and yeah, so the whole thing went poo up in space. And they had no idea how they were going to get them back. And the, the guy who was the captain of the, the rocket or whatever, he did the bit, one of the biggest understatements in history and said, Houston, we have a problem. And so when we, when we have issues in our life and, and we can't, can't work out what to do, this is how we act. God, you have a problem. God, you've got a problem. You said you're my provider. You said you're my protector. You said you're my healer. You said I've got everything I need. You said you're always with me. You said you guide me. You said you're my counselor. You've got a problem. I don't have a problem. There you are. Stop worrying. That's why Jesus can say, don't worry. Don't worry because it isn't your problem. It's his. All you've got to do is hear his solution to your problem. And it's going to be better than your solution. Instead, what we do is we run around, go crazy, cry, have sleepless nights, worry, sweat, get all emotional, go up and down, take antidepressants, do this, have breakdowns, fall around the floor and ring Auntie Betty. And at the end of it, we go, Jesus, I'm at the end of myself. And he's going like, oh, finally, you've got around to asking me. <laughs> it was my problem. So let me show you what to do. And as believers, that's the life we should be living. We've got a problem with our business. We go, Jesus, what's your counsel? What do, you, what do I do about this? If you've got a problem in your family, Jesus, what do I do about this? He's quite a clever guy, you know. <laughs> you know, if he can just, like, if he can just, like, construct all of that just out there, forget the rest of the world, if he can construct all that just like that, do you not think he can handle it? So we need to listen to him a bit more, don't we? And ourselves and all the good advice a bit less. Redemption. He's provided everything that I need. And he loves me so much, he was willing to die in my place. And if he loves me that much, how can I let my thinking go off that stuff is hopeless, that, I'm, that he won't protect me, he won't be there for me? Because he said, I'll be there for you. And he proved it when he came to die for me. Even when I didn't, wasn't interested in him, and even when I was his enemy, he was still after me. Now I'm his family... It's not like he's not he's disappeared from the scene. If he if he spent so long chasing me, he's still there. Because he said, I'm going to be with you always to the end of the age. He's still with me. You see, if you're Paul and you're writing this letter to this church in Colossae, 
Now, this is a church, as you know, that you've never been to. The only person you know there is Epaphras, who's the guy that started the church, and he trained, you trained him, and then you sent him out. You're never going to go there, and you've never met anybody from that church. And Epaphras comes to you and says, I've got issues in my church. How do I solve them? Now, what Paul could have done, he said, he said send me the prayer request list. Send me the list of issues, and I'll knock them off one by one. But that's not what he does. Because life has so many problems and so many issues, you can't get an answer to everything. Life doesn't work out perfect. Because we are messed up people living in a messed up world with other messed up people and an enemy who's out to get us. And in that context, it's always going to be problems until we get to fly or go to heaven. So what is, what's Paul saying? What Paul is saying is, I couldn't possibly answer every specific question and problem you've got. I can't tell you what to do in every life issue, every marriage issue, every relationship issue, every issue of dietary intake, every issue of what to wear, every issue of this, every issue of that. I'm not going to get into the Christianity and game. I'm not going to come and do six-day seminars on how to have a better friendship with someone. Here's what I'm going to do. Because there's a world to win and there's a world to save. I'm going to tell you to do one thing. I'm going to tell you to look at Jesus and he's the answer to everything. I'm just going to tell you to look at Jesus and he's the answer to everything. And I'm going to tell you if you listen to him, he'll tell you what the answer is to your problem. But I don't know it. Because quite honestly, I'm too busy getting on with saving the world. Now, that doesn't mean that we aren't there for each other. It doesn't mean that we don't care for each other. But what it does mean is we need to point each other to Christ instead of trying to fix each other's lives without reference to Christ. He isn't a set of relationship principles. He's a saviour. He's Lord of Lords, King of Kings, all rule, all authority, all power, all dominion, everything. He's capable of sorting anything. So when we're helping each other, our primary thing is to point each other to Christ and, and seek him for his answer instead of coming up with some sort of six steps to make stuff better kind of answer. Or... I remember in 1933 when Auntie Betty said this to me and it helped them. It's not that sort of thing. It's Christ. Christ is everything. Can we get the uh, worship team back? Wherever they are. Thank you. Here's what Paul's saying. You can't anticipate every problem you're going to have in your life and reverse all the answers to it now. And when you're going through stuff in your life, 
you can't always work out what to do. But Paul said, I'll guarantee you something. I'll guarantee you this. If you stand firm on Jesus, he is creator, he is redeemer, and everything else will work out if you listen to him. That's what he's saying. You see, it's not Christianity and. We want to add so much stuff to Jesus. We want to add stuff that says, if you do this, if you're amazing at this, if you, if you work hard at this, try harder to be a better Christian, try harder to sort yourself out, try to make yourself better, then God will respond to you. No, it's Jesus. And Jesus did everything you need for life and godliness 2,000 years ago. It's Jesus. Jesus plus nothing is the gospel. It's not Christianity and, it's Jesus plus nothing. The gospel is 100% additive free. Yes. No preservatives, no ease, no nasties. 100% pure goodness. Jesus plus nothing. I, I had another phrase, which, just say it. You know, like, they have those things, um, naked juices, which are all, like, they've got all sorts of green things in that you wouldn't normally have, and the, the smoothies, aren't they? And it's like this. This is the naked gospel. 100% pure goodness without anything added in. It's Jesus plus nothing. Because you don't need anything else. Amen? Yes. So if you want to build your life on a foundation that doesn't wobble and rock and fall over with every whim, every tide, every news flash and every latest fashion trend or style that comes across the church, you build on Jesus. Because yes. he's the only foundation to build on. Yes. Because he's the only one that is not going anywhere and will not move. Amen. Let's stand. I will build. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you sent Jesus. I thank you that he is, through him, all things were created. Everything on heaven and on earth and under the earth. And he has all authority, all power. He's above all dominions, all principalities, all powers. And I thank you, Lord, that his heart is absolutely sold out in pursuit of our hearts. Lord, help me to build my life on the foundation of Christ. Not Christianity and, but Jesus plus nothing. The only foundation. Amen. Hallelujah.